Now, the word conversation here does not mean a friendly chat over the fence with your neighbor about the weather. The word conversation here means your whole lifestyle. It is your life under the microscope. From Monday morning, you get up till you lay your head on the pillow, and each hour of each day that you're awake, you are living, or ought to live, a Christian lifestyle. Now, this letter called uh, to Hebrews, to Hebrew Christians, was calling them to adopt great change in their worship. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. This is Pastor Ian Golliher, and today we come for another look at how to live a safe Christian life. We're looking at this great text, Let Your Conversation Be Without Covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have, for he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. And this text is a foundational text for contentment. Be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. We're not to be racing after the very last almighty dollar. We are rather to be resting in the grace and in the provisions of the Lord to our own hearts. Let me read to you uh, the next verse. So that we may boldly say... The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken to you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. And so at the beginning of verse 5, we have conversation or lifestyle. And at the end of verse 7, we have conversation or lifestyle. And so, when you are a new Christian, when you are born again of the Spirit and indwelt by the Spirit, there ought to be a new lifestyle. And that is our message today from the pulpit of our church here in Cloverdale. Now, we are leading up to uh, Easter, and we have a few thoughts each day on Calvary. And today's word is propitiation. This is the Bible's word for the turning away of God's wrath. And we will learn today that on the cross, the Lord Jesus offered up himself as a sacrifice so that the wrath of God upon sinners would be turned away and that God's favor would be earned by his death. It was not just the death of a martyr, nor of one who was proving leadership, but it was the death of a priest as a sacrifice offering up himself that the wrath of God would be turned away. So I hope that you stay tuned with us right through the message, and we'll come to that little study also with a hymn at the cross. May the Lord bless you through his word. Right, we're turning to the book of Hebrews 13, and we're coming to these few verses, 5, 6, 7, and 8, that we read together. And in this short section, we have exhortations for a Christian lifestyle. 
let your conversation, um, the Lord is our helper. Uh, remember those that have they rule over you, whose faith follow. And then verse 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Now, the word conversation here does not mean a friendly chat over the fence with your neighbor about the weather. The word conversation here means your whole lifestyle. It is your life under the microscope. From Monday morning, you get up till you lay your head on the pillow, and each hour of each day that you're awake, you are living, or ought to live, a Christian lifestyle. Now, this letter called uh, to Hebrews, to Hebrew Christians, was calling them to adopt great change in their worship. They were leaving behind the temple, leaving behind the priests, the sacrifices, and they were to adopt very simple worship, just like this meeting tonight. Four bare walls and three basic items in worship, praise, prayer, and preaching. No icons, no pictures, no images, no gold, no silver, nothing that would be dramatic for the eye. It really is calling us to live by faith, not by sight, and so to worship. Now, in these four verses, we see that Christians are called to absolute stability, and we can call these things anchors for our souls. The number one is verse 5, live satisfied in present contentment. Be not covetous, uh, lovers of silver. That's what that covetous is, to be following after the riches, the money, the uh, riches of this world, but be content with such things as you have. So, that's the first thing. Live satisfied with your present con contentment. Secondly, verse 5 and 6, live trusting in the Lord's unfailing help. And that great promise, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And it goes on to say, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. So we should live confident of the Lord's faithful, unfailing help. Verse 7, live seeking the outcome of faithful leaders. Now, I'm going to need to explain that one, because it hinges on the little word end in that verse 7, at the end there where it says, considering the end of their conversation, the end of their lifestyle, considering the outcome of their lifestyle. How did it fare with them? How did it work in their lives? And if we consider how putting Christ first, walking by faith, brought about a marvelous eternal outcome, then that should encourage us. Then verse 8, we have live in the certainty of Christ's unchanging person. So, I think that's enough for one sermon. In fact, I'm beginning to question myself. It might be too much. We'll begin at verse 5, and it says, be content with such things as you have. Covetousness right there means to be a lover of silver. The Greek word has silver right in it, and it's generally taken as money. The money-greedy, money-hoarding, 
the one who puts his trust in what Paul calls filthy lucre, is going to rob himself of what is most precious in our Christian lives, and that is contentment. And this hold of money was already a problem in the first century. And it seems to have been a problem with Hebrews, with those who grew up in a very legalistic environment. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, and those who were very loyal to Judaism. And it is a truth that legalists are often controlled by money. Because think about it, a legalist is based on performance, and their life of performance is their prosperity, and they attribute prosperity to blessing. How many do that today? There are false trends even in evangelical or Protestant circles, and they preach the prosperity message. If you're really being blessed, God's going to give you material things, and you are going to enjoy riches and those things. And so, the tendency is to breed discontent. If I'm not getting, if I am not prospering in material things, then I'm not blessed, and it robs of contentment. Riches were also associated with the temple. There was kind of a nationalistic pride and a cultural uh, self-esteem because their identity was the temple. And if you remember of others spoke of the, the marble white stone of the temple and the gold of the temple, it was their symbol of national richness and identified with stability. And so, when these first-century Christians who had been Hebrews converted out of Judaism, when they were now living for Christ and falling into hard times, the hard times that we noticed in chapter 10, 34, uh, the loss of goods, the loss of homes, and the loss of many opportunities. And in that persecution, very often driven from home and from place to place, they put their trust in what we would call cashable riches, silver in particular, because when you're persecuted, you may not take your house with you, but you can take your bag of silver. You may not be able to take material things, but if it's mobile and cashable money that can be used anywhere in any place, even you have to flee the country, there's a tendency to put your trust in silver. Money, of course, will never satisfy the heart of a Christian. I found a word here in Ecclesiastes 5.10. Let me read it to you. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. And vanity there, of course, means emptiness. And those who follow after riches as the way to be happy end up empty. They end up miserable. There's a story of an old miser uh, that when he bought a lump of gold, 
paid a lot of money for it. And he buried this lump of gold uh, alongside a building and covered it over with dirt and so on. And every day he would come and just check that it's safe. Well, his people around him began to realize that he was up to something, and they checked it out and found the lump of gold. And one day he went to look for the lump of gold, and it was gone, just totally gone. And he was beside himself. A neighbor, discovering the misery and plight of this miser, he went to him and he said, well, why don't you just take any stone, put it in the hole, covered over, pretend it's gold, because you never used it anyway. Riches do not bring satisfaction in this life. It is like drinking salt water. The more you drink, the thirstier you become. And the more you accumulate the riches of this world, it's never enough. And to live seeking your satisfaction in silver of this world it leads to emptiness. There is no stability in these things. And so we have this exhortation, let your conversation, let your lifestyle be without covetousness, seeking after riches as in money, because they steal your contentment. And be content with such things as you have. Now, to live by the day is the way to be cheerful. To live enjoying the present is the way to be happy. We're also to take long views as well as short views. Take the view which says, it'll make no difference in a hundred years from now. In the graveyard, the rich are buried side by side with the poor. It doesn't matter how many acres he had in his lifetime. He will occupy the same space in the graveyard. And the poor may have had very little in this life, but the outcome in the graveyard is going to be the very same. But of course, for the Christian, for the Christian, there is a great difference. Because you do not live for riches, but you live for Christ and for eternal life and for those eternal riches. Moving to verse 5 and to verse 6 together, you will see here that live trusting in the Lord's unfailing help. For he had said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And then linked to that, and I know there's a verse in between, but if you discard the verse distraction, you will see immediately the little word, so. And after the statement, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so, in light of that, we may boldly or confidently say, the Lord is my helper. When we can say that the Lord will never leave nor forsake, then we have his constant help. Now, that's Christian doctrine. Paul in Philippians 4 talked about learning uh, to uh, live in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. And we need to learn that. And sometimes the world gets a grip of our hearts, and the greed and the seeking after the riches of this world steal away the contentment that the Lord puts in our hearts. Now, think about this text. 
for I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. The English cannot convey the five negatives that are in that statement. In the English, if you put two negatives together, one cancels the other out. And so you have a problem translating here. In the Greek language, you can put negatives together, and they emphasize the fact. And when the Lord says, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, in the Greek, the word never or nor is actually five times. It has been best conveyed in the hymn that we love to sing, How Firm a Foundation. And I want to read to you the stanza number five, which says this, The soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. Five times. The hymn writer got it. There are five negatives in this statement. I will never, 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 never leave thee. So take that to heart tonight. And because the Lord promises that he will never leave you, he's always with you, and in that, he will be your helper. Now, here's a question. Where did this famous little statement, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, come from? Well, by the New Testament times, it became a proverb. It became a cliche, a saying. But where did this saying come from? Well, it comes, a citation, out of Joshua 1, verse 5. Please look it up. Joshua 1 and the verse 5. And, of course, you have here in chapter 1, Joshua standing at the edge of the Red Sea. He is now commissioned to be the leader of the people of Israel over the Jordan. Did I say Red Sea? I meant the Jordan. And he is about to lead the children of Israel over the Jordan. He is, Moses is dead. Joshua is the leader, and he gets a great promise from God. And we read here in verse 5 in this book of Joshua, There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so will I be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. And so in that little statement, you have the absolute assurance of the present help of the Lord in every situation. Going over the Jordan, going around Jericho, going against all the nations and all the battles as they sought to possess the land. And so this is a great statement and the assurance that God will be with us. And so when the bank account is running low, when the bills are piling up, when you don't know where to go for help, pray. The Lord will be our helper. When our health is failing, when our needs are growing, the Lord says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Now, out of that, there come two conclusions. Going back now to Hebrews 13 and to verse 6, 
We're looking at this statement and, and the little word so again, so important. So means there's a conclusion to the statement that is given, if I can find Hebrews 13 and verse 6. And there are two conclusions here. Number one, so we may boldly say, that means we have great confidence. If it's true, and it is true, God will never leave nor forsake us. Then we have great confidence. We may boldly say, God is our helper. And the word helper there is succorer. He's only a shout away. We can call on him in time of need. No wonder Christians use this in prayer meetings. This is a great verse to take to the Lord in prayer. And you can never use it too often. You can never wear it out. You can use it in every prayer meeting you attend. Lord, you have promised I will never, 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 never leave nor forsake. You'll be with us. And we're here to pray on the basis of your presence and your promise to help. So we may boldly say, the Lord is our helper. He will come to our aid. Now, the second conclusion, the second conclusion is, I will not fear what man shall do unto me. You've been listening to Let the Bible Speak. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. I hope that today the Lord has already spoken, and we have a burden this month of March to minister just a few thoughts on Calvary. In today's word, we come to propitiation. Well, that's a difficult word to pronounce and to spell, but it simply is prop it iat. I-O-N, propitiation, and it means a sacrifice to turn away the wrath of God. Now, to understand the full impact of this, we must recognize that when the Lord Jesus suffered and died on the cross of Calvary, it was not merely as an example, it was not merely as a martyr, but he died as a sacrifice, indeed, a priest offering up himself as a sacrifice for our sins. This was the purpose and plan of God, that God would send his Son. He prepared him a supernatural body, and he became the God-man, He was made unto man uh, like unto human nature as all other men. He had a true human body, but being united to Godhood, he was the God-man. And when he went to the cross and suffered, he was offering up a sacrifice to his Father to purchase his people from sin— And this is the glorious good news of the gospel. And this word propitiation, you will find it in uh, the Bible. It's a biblical word. Of course, it's in the English for us. But behind that word is the hilasterion, 
or the mercy seat. And when the high priest went into the presence of God, he sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat. And that was the the cover, the table covering the ark of the covenant. And inside of that was the law. And the law speaks condemnation and guilt, but the blood of Jesus covers over, and the death of Jesus on the cross turns away God's wrath and brings life and peace to his people. So God is no longer looking upon uh, those in Christ with wrath, but rather with pleasure. And God takes pleasure in his people because Jesus paid their sin's debt, turned away God's wrath, and his favor is toward us. And this is the tremendous message of Calvary. Jesus gave himself a propitiatory sacrifice to turn away God's wrath. And if you understand how holy God is, how much he hates sin, how he cannot look upon sin, it has to be covered over that God's face may look upon us. And so I trust that you have put your confidence in the death of Christ. You have asked him to cleanse you from your sin and God to be reconciled to you through the sacrifice of Calvary. May the Lord work that within your heart today. Now we're going to have our song at the cross. This is Pastor Ian Golliher, and you are listening to Let the Bible Speak. I hope you've been blessed today through the ministry of God's Word. I'd also be delighted to talk with you. My personal phone number is 604-897-2040. Please call to let me know that you're listening, and we can open the Bible and pray. 
pray together. For all the information about our radio ministry in Canada and our churches in Buffalo, Scarborough, Port Hope, and Barrie, please go to ltbs.ca. If you have been blessed today, please kindly consider helping us to cover the cost of airtime. Your gift, large or small, will make the difference. You can donate online at ltbs.ca or by mail. Our mailing address is LTBS 18790, 58th Avenue, Surrey, B.C., V3S 1M6. My phone number again is 604-897-2040. And remember to join us again at this time next week on this station as we let the Bible speak.